Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. This is where we discuss topics that came up at our gaming table or yours. I am Michael and this is Table Topics number 55, not our Travis. In this episode, Caleb and I hit on a variety of shorter topics and try to play catch up on some mailbag questions. We specifically talked for a while about an idea that came in about how to handle a PC of a player that's missing. Originally, it came in as uh, part of the rotating DM discussion we had had a while ago, and we kind of um, broaden it to, to cover any time there's a player missing or there's a PC that's there that's not being controlled, a way that you can keep them as part of the party. And we talk about that for a little while. We have a couple other smaller questions. Then we spend quite a lot of time talking about a comment that was left on the site by a frequent commenter Jonathan, about whether or not we are providing the product that we think we are. We don't have any new Patreon backers to report and no new reviews on iTunes. So if you would like to help us out, one way you can do so, uh, obviously monetarily, is through Patreon. You can uh, donate money. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you become a patron, a dollar a month, I should say. You can become a patron and get some cool uh, rewards. Also get invited to our show and tell episodes. Uh, for $3, you get shows early. Uh, for five dollars, you start getting some other cool stuff, all the way up to where Caleb and I will run a game for you. Um, if you're local, great. If not, we'll do it over Google Hangouts or Roll Twenty. But what you can do for free is write us a review, either on Stitcher Radio if you listen to us over there, on iTunes. Uh, another big help is to go to RPGPodcast.com and recommend our shows. We have now solidly taken over the number two spot overall on the leaderboard. But we are a long way behind Gamer Stable. Now, granted, they've been around longer than us, but they also produce some very good stuff. So I don't know that we're ever going to catch them, but we could with your help. So anyway, on to the show. Here is Table Topics number 55, not our Travis. So good morning, Caleb. How are you today, sir? I am doing quite well. How are you? I am doing well as well. Thank you for asking. So this episode, I, I think I'm already going to have the title in my head. It's going to be Kitchen Sink. Oh, boy. Because we have quite a few just sort of, not necessarily random, but like smaller sort of things that we want to cover. Mm -hmm. And then we have a couple of topics that may we may expound on. We're not really sure. But I do want to take care of a couple of shorter things first. Uh, now, one thing I do want to mention is this is the first Table Topics episode we have done in a while that is truly a Table Topics episode. And I hope that our listeners, as few as there may be, have enjoyed some of these interviews that we've had the opportunity to do because I, I am personally very excited about those. Um, when we first started the podcast, I never in my wildest dreams thought, I'm going to have a chance to sit down and talk to, you know, Mike Olson from Fate Core about his new game. I never really thought that there would be other podcasts like our friends at Cthulhu and Friends who would be interested in and having a conversation with us. Uh, we're going to be recording another episode later tonight with the director and the executive producer of a movie. Uh, it's a D&D &D movie, but who cares? It's still a movie. We're talking to movie stars tonight, kids. It's going to be awesome. That's right. It's going to be awesome. So... I do hope that the people who listen to our show enjoy those as well, because I certainly don't want to dis detract from the content that people do want from us, which is more advice and, uh, and commentary. But I'm personally very excited about these opportunities to talk to people. I think they're very fun. But it, it seems like we've had a whole bunch in a row, and I, wa I wanted to have a normal, for quote-unquote, normal episode of Table Topics where we cover some topics. So that's what we want to try to do today. We want to try to get through several we have a couple of questions that have been floating around in our mailbag for a while that we're going to try to answer a little bit, but we, we may not have good answers here. So, so we're just going to kind of jump into it. So the first thing I do want to talk about 
is uh, during our Friends with Cthulhu and Friends podcast, they mentioned, they being Josh and Veronica, that they had a listener slash friend who does some editing for them. And his name is Hiroshi. He goes by uh, at maybe Hiroshi. And they talked about how valuable it was to them to have someone help and do the, do the first edits. And I, I, I joked that we needed to find our own Hiroshi. And I'll be damned, we may have. I have someone, a friend of the show, who has offered to do some editing for us. Part of my OCD tendencies, I'm not sure how well I'm going to feel about that. Like, Veronica said the same thing, that, you know, she was very worried that this person offered to do this thing, and then what if they didn't do it right? And then they would have to, you know, she'd have to hurt their feelings. So I'm a little cautious, so we're going to do like a training session with this person, and um, they're going to, basically, they're going to edit the same episode that I'm editing, and then I'm going to go back and listen to their version and see if it would be up to up to snuff, so to speak. Uh, and if so, then this person has agreed to not necessarily do every episode, but to help out. And just helping out a little bit would be fantastic. And I was mentioning this to um, Rocky last night, who's running that 5e game for us uh, in our break from Star Wars, because he listened to our Cthulhu and Friends podcast. He said, you know, if, if you can get someone to do some uh, some of the early edits, that would give you the ability to do what Cthulhu and Friends does and actually add in some sound effects. Like you'd be able to do some more advanced editing, putting things. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about that yet, but it's definitely something I would have time to do if that works out. That's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know what kind of sound effects we need while we're sitting around talking, though. Well, for, for this type of episode, not. Nah, he's talking about the actual plays. Ah. So like, so like if someone shoots their bow, put a little thump thump sound in there. Uh, you know, if somebody's walking down the hallway, put tiptoey steps. Like, like more like radio play ambient sound effects um, gotcha. for the uh, actual plays, which I like the idea of. Just don't have enough, nearly enough time right now. But yeah, if we can get someone to help out with the editing, that's certainly something we could consider doing. That would be pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, maybe do it once, anyways for. Um, for a test run to see how, how it goes. Yeah, see how so I just want to mention that we may have found our own Hiroshi. Uh, so hopefully that will work out. Um, we'll see. But uh, I wanted to bring up our first table topic for today is a, is a mailbag that came in from Travis. And I want to make sure people understand that this is not the Travis that plays in my game. Because there is no way that Travis, who plays in my game and has been part of this for almost two years now, would have just now started listening to the podcast episodes and just now come up with any sort of questions or comments for us. There's no way that would have happened. So this is definitely a different Travis. Art, do you understand what I'm saying? I detect... Wait, let me roll sense motive. I failed. Yes, I believe you completely. Okay. So this Travis, who we've never met or heard before... Hi, Travis. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening. Uh, this Travis said he was listening to our episode, this older episode, about rotating GMs. And we had come up, we talked about, there was a, sort of a segment about what do you do with your character? You know, when you're the DM and you're playing some of the time, but then you rotate in and now you're the DM. And if I remember correctly, a lot of our conversation conversation was either just let them fade into the background they're just not really an active participant or if you have a structure that makes sense they just aren't there so his suggestion was more along with the lines of what we came up with for like mass combat is let's say that your character is a wizard when they're not there when you're dming then everybody in the party gets a plus one to saves against magic or any magic that they cast gets a flat plus one bonus if they're a fighter everybody's armor class goes up by one or all their damage goes up by one is just sort of a static way to represent their influence in the battle without actually doing any roles. And I think that's a really interesting idea. I want to see what you thought about it. Hmm. Yeah, I do like that, honestly. It lets the choices you've made with that character still have impact on the party. And uh, it, it gives you a little bit of flexibility. So let's say I'm running a game, but my character is a wizard. So when I am running the game, my wizard is then giving a, a bonus to spells or a defense against spells. Or maybe he just provides some sort of natural bonus to intelligence checks or something like that. Um, when you, but your character is a fighter. And so when it's your turn to run, your fighter becomes that background character and he's going to give some bonus to attack and damage or, or strategy or something like that. 
So it's not just saying, oh, well, it's not the same thing all the time. So there's a little bit of flavor. There's a little bit of interest. Um, no, I like that a lot. It's a really good idea. Well, my thought with that, too, is because uh, we were supposed to play last night, but there was a traffic jam, and a couple of the players weren't able to make it. So then we were down, and we decided just not to play. But if this was like a rule that you used, even if you weren't rotating GM, what if you just did it with missing players? Mm. And you just said, you know, based on level of your character and class of your character, if you're not there, this is this is what you get. And and each table might do it a little bit differently for some games that, you know, maybe it's plus four to damage if they have a, a fighter character and it's plus four to all magical attacks if it's a wizard. Other groups may say plus one is enough. It may be based on level. There's a lot of... Me- mechanical crunchy stuff that we really would have to I'd have to explore and and do some trial and error but I actually really like that as an idea to replace missing characters so you would have to you basically would miss less sessions if some person doesn't show up yeah yeah no there it's a great idea because you're not just leaving a character out and that still gives the GM the flexibility to include them in the story and I think both you and I have agreed that the biggest problem when a, a character has to be in the background or drop out of the scene is that we are now hindered in, or potentially hindered in a, uh, in a story moment we have been developing. You know, if you're playing a more mission-based game where characters can drop in and out and you're not telling a crucial story you know the four warriors of light fighting the darkness if two of those warriors aren't there for a game what are you going to do so if you're not playing that type of game and it's more sandbox it's more mission style it's not as big a deal but if you're playing a more story focused game even if it's not an on rails plot but if you're telling a story that involves these characters and suddenly they're not there the GM has to say, okay, well, I either need to <clears throat> scramble to, to fix this, I, I need to tell a different part of the story, I need to change the focus. If the character is still technically there, then they essentially become almost a better tool for you to tell your story. You can just work them in, not necessarily as an NPC, but you can be more flexible with their activities in uh, the narrative parts of the game. And you can still factor them into a combat or a social encounter. Um, When it comes to the crunchy side of things, yeah, there's a lot to experiment there. I don't think you would want to just do a a flat bonus. I think you'd want to kind of customize it for each character that you're working with. It should probably be based on the overall level of the character, assuming you're playing a, a D20 style game with levels. But you'd want to include a little bit of flavor. You know, if if a fighter build has all kinds of feats that are aiming towards ranged combat, you wouldn't want to just give that non-usable fighter a, a bonus to combat with swords. <laughs> You'd want to reflect a little bit of, of how that player built and designed that character. So there's a lot to work on. There's a lot to work on. There is, and I think that might be something that would be very, I think that would be worth some exploration and actually doing some some thought you know is each character different so you know like for if there's a cleric missing do you just give like a like a minor regeneration everybody heals faster to represent the spells that would be cast a uh, wizard again you get a magical defense or extra damage if, if there's another wizard in the party i don't know i i can i think with some time and effort i could come up with a way to make that pretty Makes sense, and it would it would scale. But I'm thinking, obviously, D and D, probably even fifth edition for that. Right. Um, but I th- I think I'm going to put some time on that, and next time we have a missing character, rather than them just not being there, I might try that, see how it works, and then uh, and then maybe come back and 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 update people on what worked and what didn't. But from a from a high level concept, I think it's a great idea. I agree. I agree. There, there's a there's a lot of work to do to make it right. Um, I think we could very easily come up with a set rule for how it functions overall with a little bit of flexibility for different feats or or different character builds. But on the flip side of that, that's easy enough just to improv at the table. I mean, if, if, uh, if our listeners take this idea to heart and they say, okay, well, 
I don't have the rules, but all right, John the fighter isn't here. Fine, everyone gets a bonus to attack and damage because it's like he's there. See how it works. Right. You know, you can, you can improv this and you can fake it as you go, or you can we can develop develop kind of a rule set as a foundation. So it really works both ways. But I, I agree. I definitely want to see how this works out. Well, I will try to implement it in my future games, and uh, and then hopefully I'll get back at some time in the near future. Yeah. All right, so uh, moving on, a couple other quick announcements. Obviously, Gen Con is right around the corner. I believe that this episode will come out before Gen Con, but I'm not actually sure because we got a couple backlogged episodes. So uh, so possibly this will be after the fact. But I just want to remind people that uh, that I will be at Gen Con. Unfortunately, Caleb was not able to make it this year, but we are... We are already working on things to try to make that different for next year. Uh, but my schedule for Gen Con is posted. I think I put it on, on Twitter a while back. It's on the Facebook page. I would absolutely love to spend some time with listeners. Uh, we are organizing what I'm calling pre-Gen Con Gen Con. So the hotel that I'm staying at is the Marriott Airport in Indianapolis. It's on Fortune Circle. I don't know the actual address, but if you do some Googling, you can find it. And I have reserved a meeting room on Wednesday night. So they're actually going to give us like a conference room. It's got some tables and chairs and they said it would hold up to 30 people. Cool. So we're going to have a place for us to gather. And I know some people have already committed that they're coming. Most of my group is going to stay and play games. There's a couple that want to go into to town and uh, attend the street party. Uh, but I'm more interested in getting some gaming on. So uh, if you are interested in coming, please let me know. It's open, but I do need to have an idea if you're coming because if we get too big, we may need to try to reserve another room or find another venue. Uh, so just please let me know. And at the convention center itself, again, my schedule's posted. Please try to find me. Uh, there's at least four or five people that I, that I owe a high five to because our uh, our T-shirt campaign did, did fund. I don't know how. I'm really confused about that because the way I understand it, it shouldn't have. But I'm really happy that it did. Uh, so there's a couple of people that we're walking around in uh, the RPG Academy shirts. And if I see you, free high five. That's just a great deal right there. It is. I mean, you get a great shirt, you help out a great show, and you get a free high five. What's not to like? Absolutely. A couple other quick news and notes. Uh, I am starting to work a little bit. It's basically going to start after Gen Con, but I am starting to work on the next RPG Acaticon, or I should say the first RPG Acaticon, Deja Vu, because it feels like we've done this before. Uh, that's going to be November 7th, 8th, and 9th. Barring any sort of unforeseen circumstance, those are the dates. That's when it's going to happen. Uh, right now, it's still scheduled to be at my house. But honestly, I've gotten more people that have said they might be coming than I anticipated. Uh, so I am sort of exploring some possibilities of moving it to an off-site venue. Uh, but so if you are planning on coming, please let me know. The easiest way to do that is to go to Facebook and um, and comment. I think I've posted a couple different times. I will be putting an event on the calendar after Gen Con so people can basically say if they're coming or not. And if there's a certain tipping point that if we get to, then I'm going to know that I will need to look at an offsite venue to, to hold that many people. Uh, so again, so it's pretty much open to any listeners to the show. If you're, you know, you're local, great. If you're not, I've had a couple people from Chicago that said they were coming in for it. And I've had some people from Rhode Island who said they were coming in for it. Those people are crazy. But I am looking forward to uh, to getting to get some gaming on. It's going to be a great time. I'm, I am super excited about it. So I don't know. I guess that's it. So just look for more details after Gen Con. That will be up. And I believe, fingers crossed, Caleb is going to be there. So he will get to participate in a con. I know it's not set. There's still some. It's still four months away. Things can happen. But yeah. the plan right now is that you're coming, right? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, we have a a tentative plan. That's that I will be in appearance. So I will have. All of my board and card game library with me. I'll be able to play in person and throw dice at you when you screw up my characters. So we do. Do we need to do a Kickstarter so that you can rent a U-Haul? <laughs> no, I've I've got a pretty. Uh, wait, let me rephrase what I was going to say. I have enough room in my car to carry my things with me. But I thought you're bringing your wife too. Like, so she's not riding on the hood, right? No, she'll drive. I'll be on the hood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a teen werewolf kind of guy. I want to be <laughs> I'm gonna be surfing the whole time. Uh, and no, I, I definitely want to go. Um, I know my wife wants to come both to play and do some photography for us. 
I really want to try to run a couple games, uh, if you don't mind that as well, as well as participate. Of course not. And hey, if our crazy fans from Rhode Island are coming, I kind of live on the way, so maybe I'll just catch a ride with them. <laughs> All right, you uh, you heard it here first, uh, crazy people from Rhode Island. You know who you are if you're listening. Everyone else does as well. <laughs> so that's exciting. And, and, and the big news for me, and obviously if you get to come, that is, is huge news, but I am trying to get Nico to come down for it. Boom! That, that would be awesome. Getting the band back together, uh, and I would love to have him down here for the weekend as well. So I'm excited. There's a lot going on. It's still a ways out. More details to come. But if you could, go ahead and check out the Facebook site and start putting some comments on there. Give me an idea if you're coming or not. All right. Uh, another couple quick notes. Uh, just a quick Patreon update. Just that uh, we do have a backer now at the uh, Master's level program. So that means I'll be running a game, or I should say Caleb and I will be running a game. So this month, we are having our character creation session. And then next month, after Gen Con, we're going to have session one. We are going to play 5th edition. It is going to be a new uh, game, so it's not based off of the, the starter set. It's not. It's a set in a homebrew world. It's based in part of off of a game I ran once before, but Caleb and I are fleshing it out and making it more meaty, I should say. And I'm actually really excited about it. Like I, I was nervous, I'll admit. I I have never in my life had someone technically pay me money to run for them. So I was like, what if it sucks? Like, what if this is bad? You know, what if I run a game and they're like, dude, this isn't worth the money. And then they drop out of the Patreon. So I was like getting anxious about it. And then you and I got together. We wrote wrote some notes out. I got the first session planned out. And now I'm actually really excited because I think it's going to be an awesome game. No, I I agree. The the notes you've given me so far look like it's going to be a very cool game. Uh, I know I have to get you some feedback on that, which I'll be working on today during my day off. Uh, I think as long as no one tries to jump over a roof and ninjas sucker punch them out of the air, it's going to be a good game. I think it'll be fine. And I say that with absolutely no trace of bitterness or malice in my voice. Of course not. No, no. If If you hear that in my tone, you know, I apologize. That's just your perception of my communication. I'm sorry. Well, let's let's establish some some facts here since <laughs> since we're going there. So the situation that may or may not have happened, this hypothetical situation, alleged alleged situation, alleged situation involves a barbarian leaning out of a window, a thief putting their foot in his hands, him doing some sort of Herculean thrust with his arms to propel said thief against the far wall adjacent building where they did the the super metroid style land backwards backflip jump so is it my fault that there happened to be a ninja on top of the roof that just was like hey softball and swung their bow staff and craig said net thief in the head that to me sounds like that's not my fault that sounds like that's the thief's fault you know in that alleged context i've got to agree with you but from the point of view of this alleged rogue, I, I think there might be a different perception uh, and, and opinion. True, but and, and we'll move on here. But I will say that out, out of all that happened, if, if this happened, allegedly, in my mind, the true victim here is the barbarian. Because all he was trying to do was to give his friend a solid lift up. But he actually got hit on the way down, allegedly, and fell out of the window and was landed on top of and took the brunt of the fall. That's true. That's true. It, it, but we also have to understand that this alleged barbarian is the type to frequently run into allegedly burning buildings, uh, despite jump all from other, second story windows. And right. So, regardless of the alleged accusations, that was an awesome encounter. Uh, so moving on to some actual topics here. So we got a comment on the website from Jonathan, and Jonathan is probably one of our biggest supporters through the website. He has been with us early on. He has pretty much committed to listening to every episode, and he has commented on almost every episode. Now, he's behind uh, because he was focused on the actual place first. He's now started going back through and listening to the old Dungeon Talks, which will eventually become Table Topics. Uh, But certainly, I absolutely appreciate uh, Jonathan, what he's done. He's also given me some advice on the actual website itself. He's sent me some emails trying to trying to help us grow. He is a big proponent of the Facebook page. And, uh, you know, we did the math, I think, like 
20% of all the people that have liked us on Facebook are a direct, a directly correlated to him <laughs> trying to force them to. So, you know, again, I hate using the word fan. You know, he's a listener, but he's close to what I would call a super fan. Like, he's very dedicated to our show. He's very committed to helping us grow, and I appreciate that. Uh, but he had a comment on the website that I thought was interesting, and I, and I do not mean this in any way negative, but, I, but I, it did make me think, and I wanted to bring it up to Caleb. One of his recent comments was, we say all the time that our show and our website is geared towards helping new players and new DMs come into the hobby and be successful. But he has said that a lot of our content doesn't really seem like it's aimed in that direction. Like it's not necessarily introductory advice. We do a lot of actual plays and we do a lot of comments and topics, but is it truly introductory comments and advice? Or is this, there's, is there an assumption on our part that people already know a lot about gaming? You know, is our assumption wrong? And, and it, it made me pause and think and go, he has a point. Like, our goal was to help new players and new DMs, but are we truly basic enough, introductory enough, or are we not fulfilling our motto and our, our, our vision statement? So I know we haven't pre-talked about this, so I just want to ask, like, what are your thoughts about that, Caleb? Hmm, that's a really good point. And, uh, huh. Well, okay, I'll, I'll agree that when when we actually talk about gaming mechanics and and a gaming table situation, we, I think we do operate on the assumption that the listener at least has some framework and foundation of what it means to play a role-playing game. I, I think we're operating under the belief that if you're listening to the show, you at least have an understanding of rolling the dice, the general build of how a d20 rule system works, that kind of thing. I think that's a safe assumption, though. Uh, I, I think that anyone who would be pursuing our show and actively listening to our show at least has that knowledge. They might be a very first-time player, they might not have played yet, but at the very least, they say, okay, well, I, I might not have played Dungeons & Dragons, but I know what it is. I know you roll the dice. I know you add up different level bonuses and, and compare numbers. I, I, I want to say that on, on a big scope, the, the way we have progressed the show is kind of leading people into a more experienced development. So I'm, I'm not going to say that we are you know, starting our, our listeners holding their hands. This is, this is a polyhedral die. This is a character sheet. This is the player's handbook. This is how you generate stats. But I think if you kind of follow the history of the show, you can see us ushering listeners from basic content to more evolved content, more involved content. And I do think that we we are certainly an ambassadorship to the hobby. At least I, I hope that people feel that way. You know, we try to be very inclusive and supportive. We want all people, colors, races, creeds, sex, sexual orientations, whatever. I don't care if you're a gamer, you're welcome at my table. Uh, whether I agree with you politically or not, it shouldn't matter at the table. I know in some cases it does, but, you know, our show, we wanted to be open. When we first started, when uh, when Evan and I first started the website, he he was sort of like the focal point of that introductory advice because he had never DM'd before and he'd only played a couple of times. So a lot of our conversation revolved around him saying, why did this happen? Why did that happen that way? Or I ran my first game. How did it go? What advice would you give? So it, it was structured in a way that we were taking our prototypical newbie and using him as you know, the starting point for a lot of our conversation. And even before he ended up leaving, we still had evolved to the point that that wasn't always the structure. Mm -hmm. And I do think that we may have gotten a little bit away. I think, I think if, as we've matured as podcasters and show producers that, that our advice has too. So if someone were to listen to a brand new episode, it's, it's probably more intermediate advice. I don't know that I still don't think we're given expert level advice. Like I think angry DM I consider him giving like expert level 
you know, you've been playing games for years. This is something you, you should try. It will make a big difference in your game. I don't know that in a lot of cases, brand new people would be able to jump in and do that. So I do think that we maybe have gotten a little bit away. So my thought is, my question to you and to the audience is, do we need to take a step back and do some more truly introductory stuff? Should we have an episode where we say, we're going to walk through character creation for fifth edition and literally go, let's go through over the races. Let's, let's go through the, the options, the pros and cons of each one. Let's pick our class. Let's roll hit points. Let's pick our class, you know, our features and do a truly introductory episode. Or is that too basic and not really going to be helpful to our listeners? Mm. Yeah, I definitely would like some listener feedback on the answer to that question. I think we should maybe also post that to uh, the Facebook and, and see what people throw back at us. I think taking a step backwards to, to do some, some stuff that is a little bit more introductory can be beneficial, but I also think we don't want to go too far backwards because you're, you're right. You and I, while we have a lot of gaming and running experience, yeah, we, we are that intermediate here. We're, we're not the expert level like Angry is and, and a lot of other people that we have interacted with. But I, I think our advice is flavored towards getting people over that initial hump. Uh, so I think our mindset is not just here's what you do, it's here's how you progress. And I think that voice that we are carrying is what makes us a benefit. So my thought, and again, and I'm, I'm willing to get some critical feedback from our, from our listeners. One of my main goals in starting the actual play portion is I still feel like one of the biggest barriers to entry for role-playing games is people don't know what it is. They have the misconception from movies, TV shows, maybe uh, some strict religious upbringing that it is one thing when it's mostly just people sitting in their basement or kitchen table talking to each other. Sometimes they do funny voices, you know, having fun telling jokes. Mm -hmm. So part of me wanting to do the actual play was to demystify what it was. And, and you're just listening to people play a game and you go, oh, well, these are just guys that hang out and they make stupid jokes and, you know, that kind of thing. But even to that point, the longer we've done, the more editing I do. And I now cut out a lot of the silly stuff and focus trying to make it more like a radio play where it's just the story. So it's not even truly a good representation of an actual game anymore because I'm cutting out so much of the flipping through the book, looking for the rule or oh crap. I dropped my dice on the floor or let's take a five minute tangent and talk about Lord of the Rings or uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. So in, in a lot of ways it doesn't even truly represent that any longer because it's also matured. So, I, so again, I don't have an answer. But I thought it was a point well worth talking about, and I would like to get some comments on the website or, or Facebook or Twitter and let ask people, are, you know, has our show grown to the point that we really are more intermediate level advice and we should just be fine with that? Or would it be a good idea for us, even if it's just occasionally, like do like one episode, here's how you make a character in 5th edition, and it's just like a one-off episode, but it's clearly for people who've never played at all. I'm going to say that doing a couple freshman level courses would probably <laughs> be a good move on our part. I, I think, especially with the new edition rolling out, uh, I think jumping on that early in the game would be good because even an experienced player, you, like, like when you and I buy fifth edition, there's still a learning curve. We still have to sit down and understand the rules. Yes, we can skim through a lot of it. And, and yes, we don't have to read the section on how to roll a die and how to role play, but there's still a learning curve of, well, how does this, how does the, this class feature work? How do, how, what choices uh, should be put into stat distribution for this class versus that class? How do the archetypes work? Uh, what, what feat features work best with what build? So I think even as an experienced player, listening to a podcast or a show of people saying, hey, here's our advice, here's our take on it, is very useful. But that also, in that case, is going to skew perfectly towards the guy who says, I've never done this before, let me try to do a Google search for someone to help me out. 
But one of the tags that I put on all of our episodes is how to play D&D and how to play RPGs. The goal being, if someone goes to Google and says, how do you play D&D? I want our show to come up. Mm -hmm. So it's a fair point is, are we actually offering the service that we're advertising? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, let's be honest. We, We don't really talk to the brand new player a lot. I think a lot of our conversation is directed at people who have a little bit of understanding of what they're doing. So, sure, maybe we need to not restructure, but maybe we need to at least put a little bit of acknowledgement out there. But I will say that, in my opinion, a lot of the advice that we have been giving when we do have this context of show, while it is structured towards someone running a game, a lot of that advice applies directly to people who are learning how to play, learning how to role play. Hearing us talk about not just the mechanics, but some of the ways to structure an encounter, structure a villain, how to build character development or handle character development, that all applies. And if someone is truly eager to learn how to play, they need advice from both sides of their perspective. So I I think we're still doing our job, but we probably need to fine-tune a little bit. As always, Jonathan, I do appreciate your comments and your feedback. I do look forward to reading them because they are often insightful and they show that you are really paying attention to the content and commenting on it. Uh, So please continue to do so. And then for everyone else who listened to Caleb and I just have a 20-minute conversation about our show, um, let us know what you think. We, We, you know, I do want to be an ambassadorship to the hobby and I do want to help new people get into the game. But I also don't want to lose half of our audience if we go back too far and we we're doing the ABCs of role playing games. So I just like to hear some feedback on what you guys think. Um, and, you know, again, with a couple one offs. And then the last thing I'll throw out there is um, when we first started, Evan made a YouTube channel for the RPG or for, made for the D&D Academy. So there, I'm sure we could get the same thing for the RPG Academy. Would you guys be interested in us doing some videos and like videoing us creating our characters? So rather than maybe doing a podcast, maybe it's something separate that we could link to and say, hey, if you've never ever played D&D at all, the new edition is fifth edition. Here's where you get the basic stuff. We're going to do session one will be creating a character. And then we, we do that as like a separate thing, but not necessarily this show. So just looking for some comments and feedback. So we got one more quick, somewhat quick topic, and then we have two larger ones that we'll get to. The next one, this was a question that came in a while ago, and I feel bad that we haven't got to it yet, and I feel really bad that we really still don't have a good answer. But this came in through Pop Culture Cube. He's one of our followers on Twitter, and um, he was asking about a setup where you play role-playing games, specifically D&D, but one of the people is telecommuting. So this isn't, you know, everybody playing on Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or something like this. This is four people in a basement, one person at their house in a different state playing through Skype or through some other, you know, computer way that they are represented at the table and and how that would work and if we had any thoughts and advice. I've only done this one time. I, I I almost had the opportunity to do it again and then the whole game fell through that night. And it did not work very well. And, but there are a lot of different options or different possibilities on why. One was the particular person that was the person that wasn't there. I mean, there's different personality types. If you have the guy who's um, a bit of OCD and he's going to be checking his email or Twitter account or, uh, you know, he starts working on work on his laptop so he's not really paying attention and he's not at the table so you can't really see it then that's the type of personality that maybe that isn't the good option for that being the person that's not at the table. Uh, depends on probably how much maps and minis you use. If you're a very combat-heavy game, like 3rd Edition Pathfinder, that uses maps and minis, it's going to be very difficult to position the webcam so that you can see the board so that that player can say remotely, I need to move up five squares and get into flanking, then reposition the camera so that you can also see the DM's face, because there's definitely social cues you you need. Uh, then you got to have a deal with the speakers that make sure that that person can hear everyone else talking clearly and that their voice is projected clearly. So somebody who's had more time and, and effort may have found better solutions to that. But for me, the one time I did it, it did not work. What about you, Caleb? Have you had any experience with this? Well, no. 
in all of our games, we have either been in real life at a table or completely over streaming. So I have not experimented with only having one person streaming. I agree with your comments that it is difficult to, to handle. you got to have the right person on there. Uh, I think with the right setup, though, there wouldn't necessarily be a problem. I, I think for it to work smoothly, you would probably have to have a couple cameras set up, like maybe one that would be a, a top-down aerial view uh, and another that would be on the players or the GM. Uh, you might have to go as far as having everyone separately mic'd. Now, a, another way to handle this would be, let's say there's five of us at the kitchen table and one person is on Skype or, or Hangouts or whatnot, instead of having to fight with the board and the map, what if everyone was accessing the map from their laptops or tablets, even those of us at the kitchen table, using Roll20 or any of the various uh, map software, Realmworks specifically, if we were all accessing a map digitally and moving tokens around that map, the player that is not physically there would have an easier time at that side of the problem. There would still be the issue of, well, okay, I'm the only guy on my computer. I'm not really there to interact with people. And because we all know that <laughs> the gaming table will usually devolve into tangents, uh, that that person that is extra distanced from the moment will always be a little bit offbeat. You know, they won't be quite in sync. So if we all end up riffing on Monty Python for a little bit, he, he might be a little bit lost. Uh, his comments might get lost. It's definitely not an ideal situation, but I could see ways that it would fail, and I can see ways that it would succeed. But I have no actual experience to say, here's what works and here's what doesn't work. Right. Yeah, and I think that was my my struggle with it because I wanted to give a good answer to this person, but I don't know that I have the experience to do so. My one time limited did not work, but that is not to say that it, it couldn't under other circumstances. One of the things that we also struggled with, again, is that social cues kind of thing where that person would start to talk, and maybe because of the lag of the Internet, it it wouldn't actually come through until another person was talking, and then you had two people talking over each other. Then you had that sort of awkward, like, uh, no, I mean, you... Uh, it, it, which you and I sometimes do on, even when we do our podcast, just the two of us because yeah. of the little, there's a little bit of lag. So imagine that you've got five people at the table and one person who's trying to get their comments in in between, but there's a, you know, so I don't know. I, uh, I would love if there's anyone out in our, in our listening sphere who has done this and it's worked or not worked some specific comments, or if you, if you've got the setup, you're like, this is the laptop you need. This is the program. Here's where you put your cameras. Love that. If you could send that in to us, we will certainly forward it to the person who wants to know. We might cover it on a future episode as well. Um, you know, the, the future of gaming is going technology-based, and there's got to be some solutions. We, we've got the virtual tabletops. Multiples have come out most, you know, very successful. So there's probably someone out there who's had this problem and they've solved it. We just weren't able to find the information. So, so I hope that was somewhat helpful to you, uh, Pop Culture Cube. But uh, if there's anyone out there that has more specific information, please let us know. All right, so Caleb, you wanted to bring up the next topic. It was a question that came up from the, the recent City of the Damned episode that, that, that came out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, during that first episode, uh, there was a, uh, a situation where one of your players wanted to, uh, I believe, make an intimidate check against one of the other players, basically a PC versus PC check. And you said, and I'm not quoting you exactly, so feel free to correct me, you said uh, there's not really rules for that. A check like that cannot influence another player character. Something along those lines is what you said. And that, that moment kind of jumped out at me as a little bit, a little bit odd. Uh, it, it's just not something that I almost, I almost didn't expect you to say it. And it's not something that I have ever made use of in my games. So I wanted to bring up that topic first off to get your take on it. And also as a table topic to say, is this, is this not, not the right or wrong way, but how does this fit into your game? What's the reasoning behind it? What's the reasoning for it? What's the reasoning against it? 
you know, just flush it out a little bit. Okay. So to, to clarify, I do allow PC versus PC checks that aren't what I would consider role play related. So if somebody wants to back or to pickpocket another character, I don't like games that where that happens, but it depends on the situation. But let's say it's not a situation where someone's being a jerk and they're just trying to steal stuff. But if someone tries to pickpocket another PC, then that's a role. You roll your pickpocket or your stealth, the other person rolls perception. If it passes, then, then it happens. But I talked several times about this game that I played in for a while that I, I hated. I, I didn't even like going. I, I kind of started wondering, like, why am I even going here? And one of the things that the DM did that made that game not fun for me is the DM would dictate to the players how they should role play or how they should react to a situation. So in one example in particular, we were walking through a forest. We were trying to get from point A to point B. And we noticed that a section of the forest had caught fire. It wasn't related to our current mission. We felt that this was secondary, so we were going to ignore it. And the DM looked at one of the characters and says, no, you're a ranger. You have to go inspect this fire and put it out. And there's a point where that's maybe correct. Like, as a ranger, he probably was. He should have been concerned about the forest. He probably should have been like, hey, no, I, you know, this is my home. These are my animal friends. I can't leave them here. And that would have been a good role play moment. But the character or the player chose not to do that. I did not like the DM intervening and saying, no, you have to do this. Because as, as a DM, the only thing that I don't control is your character and what your character does. The dice control some things from a luck standpoint or skill. I create the opposition. I create the reaction. I create everything else. You create your character and you play your character. So I don't ever want to get into a situation where I say, your character is in love with the barmaid. If you tell me I want my character to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and we decide that the barmaid or the bar dude, whatever, is that person, then okay, I'll role play that out and I'll, I'll use that in the game. But I'm not just going to say, yeah, there's a girl over there and, and you like her, so you need to go over and talk to her. I feel like that's interjecting too much. And then I've sort of just applied that same philosophy to character and character. If you have an ability that says you can instill fear, then I will follow the rules for a character being under that effect. But I don't think that one character should be able to roll a dice and force another character to role play or to react in a certain way. For me, that just doesn't work. I don't like it at the table, and I just don't allow it. Okay. Well, <clears throat> that was a great explanation. I, I feel a little bit more understanding of where you're coming from with that point, so that's cool. Thank you. Going back to your example of the ranger, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I don't think the the DM should have told you, no, you have to do this. Uh, the DM should have said, well, you know, you, you are a ranger. This is kind of your home territory. You should feel a little bit of responsibility for this. I almost would have wanted to play that out kind of as the compel dynamic uh, that's in Fate. It's like only to a, a different extent. Well, you're a ranger. You've been in these woods. If you are choosing to ignore a fire, I want to know why. And if it's a valid reason, if it's a valid role-playing moment, go with it. But if you don't have a specific reason, then there needs to be some sort of consequence. And maybe there's a consequence even if there's a reason. I mean, as a, as a GM, I wouldn't put a fire in the woods for no reason. It wouldn't just be a random, oh, here's a fire. There has to be some reason that that fire exists in the world. So if my players choose to ignore that fire, the consequence then has to be, well, what are you missing out on? Is this a side quest? Did I want you to find a treasure? Did I want you to save someone that would help you later on? Have they now lost out on that? Do I want to move it to a different point of the game? So there's a lot to go into that, and that's totally off topic of what we're currently talking about well not not necessarily because i would say that the the point that you're getting at which i agree with the two things one is that if, if you do a good job as the dm then the rangers should have cared and it shouldn't have been a force it should have been like there should have been these connections that were built whether it be in character creation or throughout the course of the game so that it's not the forest is on fire but it's the, the, you know, the forest of wonders where you've grown up your entire life and your 
hermit master who you've not seen in two weeks, their house is over there. So you're like, oh, okay. And I just think it was the failing of the DM to create any in-game com- compel- or compels, as you would say, that made us want to do anything. It, it, it appeared to be a completely random event. It seemed like it was just an excuse for combat. It turned out it was a fire elemental, so it was a combat opportunity. But it, it just seemed out of place, and I just didn't like the, the DM fiat. The other thing that I would say with Fate is you always have the option of saying no. So even on a compel, the player can go, here's my Fate point. I, we don't have time for this. And so that wasn't even an option in this game. Like the, the, the DM did not give the player an option. He basically said, you have to go there. Well, right. And, and remember in Fate, when, when you pay a Fate point to, to ignore a compel, you have to essentially invoke one of your aspects to do that. It's not just a mechanic to say, I'm spending a resource to ignore the story element. You have to come up with a reason why you are doing that. So you're still building the story. You're still, the GM at that point is saying, here's a story element for you, and I am counteracting with a different story element. We're still progressing the narration just in a different way. To not necessarily disagree, but just bring up a different point of what you just said, there are times in a game where not everything necessarily has a PC connection. I mean, at some point, your PC is going to be in the woods that they've never been in before. They're going to be in a city they've never been in before. So I, I don't want to imply to listeners that every single compelling moment in a game has to have some sort of, oh, this is my druid master that I haven't seen for years, or this is the forest I grew, with, I grew up in. It certainly makes for a more dynamic moment and I think you still have to have something to build the tension and the drama. But I, I don't think relying on the trope of, oh, this is X that I knew in Y, so I must do Z, has to be there every moment. I know you weren't saying that, but I, I just want to flesh that out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, no, I just I didn't want to go through the entire backstory right. of that particular of course, game. Of course. In that game, we were in a place that we had been before. Right. But to your point, I agree. But, but again, my counter-argument would be back to the, to the DM that you need to know your players. Mm-hmm. And if do you have players that are going to ignore a fire unless it's right in front of them, then don't put a fire that they're going to ignore and then be upset that they ignore it. Definitely. Then, you know, if, if you want to give us a combat because you want to have a combat, that's fine. Combat's fun. Most players that I play with want there to be a combat in at least every game. Me personally, I want that combat to have some connection to the story. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be a random encounter, but but still, I I, I like combat. You know, not as much as as many, but I, I enjoy it. So I wanted combat, but I just didn't like the way that 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 worked, and it was just a way to kind of explain my feelings of the player versus player. Thing. It, it, and I I agree with you in that sense. Yeah, uh, and even in my games, when I have made use of a quote unquote random encounter, I've still included story elements, like in. In, in the game I'm running in real life for my local group, there was just a random monster encounter. Uh, but I included some some bits after the fact. The player was able to make a couple investigation checks, and they found some clues that led to something from their backstory. So so it works. In. Um, and I, you should always have something that ties all the moments together, even if they're a little bit random or a little bit um, there's a little bit of discrepancy between them. There still needs to, there still needs to be that momentum of moving the narration forward. All that being said, going back to the original focus of this table topic, in my games, we don't really have those mechanical elements of player one saying, "I want to try to intimidate player two. We typically kind of resolve those just through straight role playing. And that's one way to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I think if there was a solid reason and role-playing element in it, player one saying, I'm rolling Intimidate against player two, is perfectly fine. Because we want to still be in the game. And if you and I are players, and you and I are debating 
running into the burning building to save the orphans, and we're disagreeing for some reason. You and I, as people, are going to have that debate. Our characters are probably going to have a similar debate, but I think our communication doesn't necessarily translate ideally to my cleric versus your rogue. And in that context, my cleric saying, well, I want to roll a diplomacy and try to sway the situation, even though it is a, a mechanical, crunchy element, it's not just a straight role play, I think that puts the focus back into the game, into the video game screen, into the these characters that we're embodying. Now, I don't think, as a GM, you should just say, okay, well, John got a 20 Intimidate, and Frank had a 5 Will Save. John, you win. Go. I think it works best as saying, okay, John, you said you wanted to try to intimidate Frank's character. Give me an Intimidate check. Frank, give me a Will Save. All right, John, you won. Role play your win. So... Yes, I am telling Frank that he has to bow to the wishes of this role, but I'm not just saying do it because I told you to. We're doing it in the context of we're still do, we're still role playing, and I I've got to say the Cthulhu and Friends guys do this constantly, and it never has jumped out at me listening to their games as anything that is weird, because when Veronica runs those games, if Josh rolls an Intimidate against Stacy's character, Veronica tells them to roleplay it out. She gets the result first, and if Josh fails, she has Stacy roleplay why Stacy's character is ignoring that check. And if Josh wins, Veronica has him roleplay why he's winning. So it's kind of that, that moment when we're bouncing back and forth between game reality and real reality, and we're kind of treading both sides of the fence there. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and I think as long as you do it correctly, it's an it's a perfectly fine mechanic. I would say, based on what you're saying, it probably comes down to the players. And, yes. and I would say that the players, Josh and uh, Veronica, they're very mature. And there's a, you know, they're well, they don't may not act it, but they are actually mature. <laughs> uh, but that they are going to be able to not get their feelings hurt if, that happens my fear and you know maybe i'm going back too far to my days when i was running in high school and i was burning with a bunch of morons is that you could very easily have that that dashing rogue or the charismatic bard who then just makes everyone do whatever they want and break the game because he's like i have a plus 15 deception i'm going to lie to you and tell you that guy just stole something from me so you'll go kill him and then i'll steal the treasure or you know, I want you to um, do this. So you basically would have one character that, within the rules, could force every other character to do whatever they wanted at any time. And I know that's the extreme example, right. but if you allow it, that can happen. That's true. But that's the same rule that applies to any person who is potentially min-maxing and power gaming. That's the same... Right, it's, it's the social version of min-maxing. Right, exactly. And I, I have played with several people that their min-maxing was specifically aimed at social interaction roles. Uh, <laughs> I have horror stories of people that would roll a character that was absolutely worthless in combat, and every single ability and check was, oh, well, I have a 20 diplomacy, so screw you, I'm going to do whatever I want. Oh, I have every single crazy combination of feats and spells that means I can just do whatever I want and convince anyone to do whatever I want. And that was their... Okay, nothing... I don't want to say anything bad against them because that's how they had fun playing the game. Right. Me as another player participating in that, it frustrated me. Me as a GM in that situation frustrated me because they were intentionally saying, I want to game to contra contradict what you are doing as a GM. I want to say, well, I'm trying to negotiate with the, the Duke, and instead of the Duke giving me a mission, I'm just going to roll diplomacies with a 45 result, so of course I get my way. That's a very frustrating thing to see at the gaming table. But it's equally as frustrating as the guy that says, 
well, my fighter has 16 attacks, and they all naturally crit, so I do 1,000 damage. <laughs> it's just a different side of that. Right. And you know what? If that's how you guys want to play, and everyone is on board with doing that, and that's how you all have fun, awesome. I don't want to play in that kind of game, and I don't want to run that kind of game. Now, okay, I take that back a little bit. I do like building crazy, stupid, powerful combat characters. But when we use those crazy, stupid, powerful combat characters, all we are doing is a stupid one-shot combat dungeon. Like when we ran the Tomb of Horrors over this past Christmas and New Year's. We didn't roleplay. We didn't develop the stories. We said, hey, here's your 20th level barbarian. He's going through the Tomb of Horrors. See if you can survive. Right. In that context, it was okay. And it was like, all right. I'm building this guy just to survive a dungeon and do as much damage as possible. And that was fun because that's what we set out to do. Oh, absolutely. And I agree. I, I think thinking about it, what I would just kind of reiterate is that it comes down to the to the players. Mm-hmm. And if I had a more mature group of players, and I'm, I'm sure I'm more mean like experienced role playing, then I would, probably would be more open to it or I would it would be more of a conversation and say, this character is trying to intimidate you. You know, they, they rolled really well. They're a half-orc barbarian. They're standing over you, and they have a giant hammer in their hand. Your character just failed their will save. So more than likely, in game terms, you are intimidated, but I'm going to give you some flexibility to roleplay it. How would you like to roleplay your reaction? Right, I agree. In the, in the game that it came up, we had Travis, who, to be clear, is not the Travis we talked about earlier, because this Travis has been playing in my game for a long time, and there's no way he just now started listening to all the episodes. Oh, of course. Travis is an avid fan. So that Travis, this the one in the game, was trying to intimidate Evan, who, even though we, you know, he's been on the podcast, he still isn't that experienced at role-playing. And I think that was my initial reaction, is that I really felt that Evan would not appreciate being told what his character had to do. Mm. And, uh, and I still think it was the right call in that situation, but... But I actually agree with you, having talked through it, that it's not something I should just say is not at my... You don't do that in my game. But I agree that I I don't think it was right in that game. Okay. With you just saying that, I now fully agree with you. In that context, that decision you made, you made the right call. Now, that being said, since uh, a few minutes ago, we had a conversation about making things more accessible to brand new players. I think, as a GM... If I had absolutely brand new players, I think using this topic of opposing role-playing roles is a great way to teach them how to role-play. I mean, we, we have talked in the past about the brand new player, just let them roll the dice and then spoon-feed them some elements of role-playing after the fact. Okay, well, hey, roll your attack. You got an 18. That means you hit can you describe your hit for me? You're using a sword. Tell me a scene from a movie that's like your attack. Or just give me a little bit of flavor. You're just pulling those little bits of role-playing out of them to show them how to role-play. I think in this context, saying, all right, brand-new player, the town guard is a half-orc, and he just intimidated you. He's standing over you with a hammer. Your role says you lost. What does that mean to you? Are you running in fear? Are you standing there trembling? Are you defiantly sticking your chin out, but you're going along with the rules? Give me a little bit based on your character. And I think that's a great teaching tool. Again, in the right context, with the right players, maybe you have one great experienced player at the table and a couple newbies, someone to show them the ropes. Everything we've talked about is really just kind of a what-if scenario. There is no hard and fast rule. If you as a GM want to say, no, you can't roll Intimidate and Diplomacy against another live player, that's your game. Who cares? Do it your way. In the right context, it works. In the right context, it doesn't work. And somewhere in the middle is everything we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think we've come to a good middle ground. Yeah. So what I, so what I would say to wrap this up is that if you are creating the game, I am, I am now fully on board that we need to have a character creation session. Mm-hmm. And if you have a character a character or a player who starts to create a very social character and he's like, oh, yeah, I have like a plus 15 in diplomacy, we should have a conversation. Well, how do you see that working in the game? What are you 
what are you looking to do with that? He's like, oh, I want to be like the manipulator of the group and I'm going to get everybody to do this stuff for me. And it's going to be kind of funny. Then you need to make sure that the, that works for that table. And you may say, well, that's really not the way I want this game to go. I don't think that character concept fits. So maybe we should look at it differently or go to the other players and make sure. Because you could have the guy who's like, hey, I'm going to play the four intelligence barbarian. I think it'll be hilarious all the stupid stuff this guy's going to get me to do. Yeah. So you may have somebody who loves it, who's like, oh, this will be great. I get to kill everything, and I get to blame it on that guy because he's going to trick me into doing this. So you could certainly create a game where this is a good thing, and it's fun, and everybody laughs about it. But if you have players that aren't into it, then you're going to have player conflict, and that's a whole separate issue. So I just think that's something you do at character creation and make sure everyone's on board. And then if not, then we may want to adjust one way or the other before we actually play the game. Yeah. Because it would be, it would suck for a player to, to be all excited about this character. And then in session one, minute one, the DM's like, yeah, you can't actually do all the stuff you thought you could do. Exactly. I agree. Okay. Awesome. Well, Caleb, as always, I appreciate your time. And I thought we had a really good discussion today. I'm actually uh, one of the few times where we didn't just agree about something. And, uh, and I think we learned some stuff about each other. I feel good. I want to give you a virtual hug. <laughs> And, you know, and hug it out. And uh, yet, yet again, thank you to our listeners who've sent in the questions and comments. Travis, whoever you are, Pop Culture Cube, Jonathan, and there's a couple other questions that are still floating around. We we had one on dueling that we want to talk about. We've started to talk about a couple of times, and then we kind of back out because we're not sure what we want to say. Uh, so if you've sent in questions, have faith. If it's been a long time, you may want to resend them in because maybe we forgot about them. <laughs> but I don't think so. I, I tried to save them all and I got them in a file, but I'm not going to swear that I didn't mis- misplace one. And please send in new questions. We uh, It really helps drive the content of the show and give us stuff to talk about. So this has been uh, Michael. And this is Caleb. And we'll talk to you soon. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at therpgacademy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash therpgacademy. We also have a Google Plus page, therpgacademy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.